Well, good morning. You, uh, wait, let's see, it's 11.02. Welcome to those of you who didn't get the message about moving back to 10.45. Um, and hello again to those of you who showed up an hour early. Um, most of you have navigated all of the different time changes. We actually figured that moving the service time on time change was probably the best way to do it. And so you, you made it. Um, I want to start by giving a shout out to uh, some people. You may, if you're in the room, you may have noticed some large frames on the opposite side in the lobby as you came in. If you made it in here and you didn't notice them, I'll encourage you to just take a look on your way out. Um, those frames, massive frames, were built by Brad Langeneckert. And Brad built the frames and then the facilities team um, finished them and installed them. And then the campus upgrades team and our communications team and our graphic designer um, put the content in and designed it. And so take a minute and take a look at it. Um, we are gonna fill up the um, We Pray For Each Other board. Uh, it's new, that's why there aren't prayers up there right now. Um, but in the middle is a list of our church's distinctive values. And so that's where I'd like to begin this morning with that first one, which is Jesus is the difference. And it really describes why we're here as a church, why you and I are here this morning, because Jesus is the difference. In Colossians, in the first chapter, Paul writes about the difference that Christ makes. Verse 15, Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Jesus is the difference. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. We'll actually finish our service taking communion and remembering that death on a cross. Jesus' reconciliation, Jesus' redemption includes you and me who were once far from God. We were his enemies. We were separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions. But now he's reconciled us to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought us into his own presence. We are holy and blameless as we stand before him without a single fault. Jesus is the difference. Now, 
We're going to talk about some of the difference that Jesus makes, but if by chance that passage was new to you or landed and struck you in a new way, then I just invite you to spend the rest of our time together just thinking about that. Praying and asking God what he wants to do in your heart and your life because Jesus is the difference. And that's why we're here. That's why we can be here. Just before Jesus died, he had dinner with his disciples and he promised that he was going to bring, send a a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to equip them and help them in the ministry that he prepared in advance for them to do. And that Holy Spirit was going to come and, and that equipping would take the form of spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to each believer. We, we see that in 1 Peter. And so as we prepare to talk about spiritual gifts, let's take a look at a couple of passages that lay that out. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. That's one of the purposes of spiritual gifts. We are gifted through the Holy Spirit to serve each other. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. That's another purpose of the spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit gives us, to bring glory to God. And then in probably the most significant, famous chapter of the Bible regarding spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of all of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of you. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Serve each other, bring glory to God, help each other. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Um, I never studied biblical Greek. You need to know that up front. But I did study chemistry. And in chemistry, we use some Greek letters for notation. Some of you were in fraternities or sororities, and they use Greek letters for their names. And so I want to show you the Greek word that is translated in these passages that we talked about as spiritual gifts, and also in the First Timothy passage that we're going to study in a moment. And I just wonder, do you recognize any of those Greek letters? What do you see? This is the interactive portion of the morning. You see, a, you see a fraternity? What letters do you see there, Bob? What, what is it? What? What, what letters, what Greek letters do you see there? It's, I see alpha, I see sigma. Um, the first letter there is chi. In fact, this is an interesting Greek word because if you transliterate from the Greek letters to the English letters, it spells out this word, charisma. And I found it really interesting that the Greek word for spiritual gifts is a word that we use in English, charisma. Um, 
over the years, it's come to filter into two different definitions. Um, one of those that we'll be talking about today is that it is a divinely conferred gift of grace coming from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving God. But the common use in the English language of charisma is, hey, some special characteristics of personality that make me more attractive to you. In fact, when I was studying, um, I came across a book called The, the Charisma Rules. And it's got, that book has got 13 chapters. Um, each one is a rule, a thing that you can do to make yourself have more charisma, which the authors say will make you more successful. You can put on this charisma. You can manufacture it on your own. And it's chapters like body language and what you should wear. And it concerned me a little bit because they're things that I didn't really give a lot of care to. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, what Paul is going to write to Timothy, is what the Holy Spirit does in you in preparation for what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you. Spiritual gifts. Now, my experience with spiritual gifts probably could be traced back to when I was about 14 years old. And I got to be a junior counselor in summer camp. And this is how it worked. We would, after church, we, we drove up to the mountains of Southern California, about an hour and a half, two-hour drive from church, and we would spend Sunday afternoon with uh, the preparation for the week, and then the campers would show up on Monday morning, and we would have a week of camp. And so my first year being a junior counselor and thinking about all of the opportunity to lead and to teach and to instruct... And about halfway through that meeting, about halfway through the preparation on Sunday afternoon, I realized I wasn't prepared at all. I wasn't prepared in a very specific way. And so when the meeting was over, I had to make my way across the camp to the payphone, because it was 43 years ago, and put a dime in, yep, and call my mom and tell her that I'd made it to camp but hadn't packed any underwear. She's going to make for a long week. And so Monday morning when the group of kids from my church arrived, one of them handed me a rolled up grocery sack with five pair of underwear in it. And I never have known for sure if they looked but I always suspected that whole week that they were calling me Counselor Underpants. <laughs> and I'm sure that there are some leadership lessons in this. Two years later at the same camp, same role, one of the pastors on the district who was in charge of the games and the sports for the whole camp called me over and said, Kevin, I just want to tell you, I see the gifts of leadership and exhortation and encouragement in the way that you work with these students, in the way that you're, that you're serving here. And I think it was the first time that anybody called me out and said, I see the Holy Spirit working in your life for his purposes. Um, that, that pastor on the district ended up moving to pastor my church. And then about seven years after that camp experience, I married his daughter. 
And I got to have that encouragement, that presence in my life as a father-in-law for um, 30 years. And it was, it was a blessing. What we're going to look at in 1 Timothy as we continue our study of that, that letter from Paul to Timothy is Paul's encouragement to use that spiritual gift for God's purpose. Let me pray as we open 1 Timothy. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you have set things up through your Holy Spirit to gift us and call us to give us work to do to bring glory to you and to serve others. God, I just pray that as we look at your word and as we examine your presence in our lives, um, that each of us would hear from you, that we, we would take from this message what you would have to say to us. In your name, amen. Let me read the three verses that we're going to um, study this morning, and then we'll go verse by verse through them and make some observations about how spiritual gifts play out in Timothy's life and potentially in ours. Paul says this, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Now we learn in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, Fan into flame the spiritual gift that you received when I laid my hands on you. So apparently, if it's the same spiritual gift, and I think it is, then Paul was one of the elders that laid their hands on Timothy, and he received a spiritual gift. And then it says, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Let's take a look at that first verse. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Now, I don't know exactly how Timothy received that spiritual gift. It might have been like on that sports field at that camp when my father-in-law-to-be, Herman, put his hand on my shoulder and said, Kevin, I see these gifts being worked out in your life. And that might have been a word of prophecy. That might have been an encouragement. It certainly was an encouragement to me. Or it may have been something more formal with the elders gathering around Timothy and praying for him. Um, But we know that Paul was involved in, in Timothy's growth and development in this spiritual gift. And so it led me to explore how do we receive spiritual gifts and what does it normally look like for believers to discover and develop their spiritual gifts. And one of the sources that's been most helpful for me is a book by a guy named Robert Clinton called um, Unlocking Your Giftedness. And in Unlocking Your Giftedness, Clinton, who I'm going to refer to as Bobby because that's what he goes by. Bobby Clinton um, wrote in this book uh, a list of different normative steps for the development and expression of spiritual gifts in the life of a believer. And, And this is the interesting thing. What he does, he's a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he has studied thousands of leaders, biblical leaders, historical leaders, contemporary leaders, um, and others who are serving in the church. And 
he's looked for patterns in the way that the Holy Spirit works in their lives. Now, I am not saying that the Holy Spirit can't work in other ways. What I'm saying is that Bobby Clinton, looking at thousands of different people throughout the centuries and studying their lives and the way that God's worked in their lives, has said there's some normal patterns that we see. And one of the normal patterns has to do with the development of spiritual gifts. And so what I want to do is give you the first five steps that Bobby Clinton identifies in, in, that, um, in that area. And the first step is something that he simply calls ministry experience. And he makes a big deal about this. He says, you know what? Try something. Get some ministry experience. It really is a first step of obedience to try serving in some way. And that ministry experience then potentially leads to the discovery of a spiritual gift. And that's his second step. So ministry experience, discovery of a spiritual gift, that's normative according to what he looked at in all of these different lives. Now, he also has something to say about spiritual gift tests or inventories. How many of you have taken a spiritual gift test? I'm just curious. Um, probably would have been helpful to just say how many of you haven't taken a spiritual gift test. Um, most of us have taken those. He says um, that they can be very helpful. Um, he says spiritual gift tests can be helpful, but there are at least three caveats. And so I just want to share with you some of the concerns that Clinton has with the, the spiritual gift tests, and it'll help us to think about how we're applying that in our lives. The first warning, the first caveat, is simply this, that these tests tend to be based on your previous ministry experiences. Because they work best if they say, okay, you've tried a bunch of things. Which ones do you see the Holy Spirit resonating in your heart? In your heart? And, and um, which ones seem to fit you? And, and that can be helpful to identify, okay, maybe I have this spiritual gift. But Clinton points out, if you have little or no ministry experience, then that means the tests are going to be of little or no value. That's the first warning. That it goes back to his order. Go ahead and get some ministry experience. And then, normally, the discovery of spiritual gifts happens. The second warning about spiritual gift tests is what he says is the ego factor. He says ego strength affects the outcome of the test. And this one, I have to admit, was personally concerning to me. First, he addresses low ego people, people with low self-esteem. And he says they tend to take the test and get results that say you have no spiritual gifts. <laughs> to which the low ego person responds, I knew it. I knew I didn't have any spiritual gifts. Sure, Peter and Paul say that the Holy Spirit gives each believer spiritual gifts to serve God. But I always suspected that he skipped me. And so the test can have the impact of taking people who already have a low self-esteem and pushing it lower. But at least from my perspective, that's not the worst because he observes that high ego people tend to get results that say they have every spiritual gift. I knew it. I knew that I was special and God gave me every spiritual gift. And what concerned me was, when I take these tests, <laughs> um, I, I usually 
do pretty well and have a lot of spiritual gifts. I just want to confess that to you right now, that um, I may need to, to do some business with God about my pride. So you can see how ego strength and the spiritual gift can actually lead the low ego people to, to doubt even more that God has a purpose for them. And it can lead the high ego people to exacerbate their struggle with pride. Here's the third warning, and this one is really interesting. Um, it is what, what Bobby Clinton calls inoculation. Inoculation. He says, if you take the test and you get the results, and then you don't follow it up with ministry experience to confirm and develop your gifts, then the testing process is wasted or worse. And here's what he means. You take the test and you see the results and you say, oh, I guess I have these spiritual gifts, but then you don't follow it up by diving into ministry. Then a few years down the road, you're going to say, yeah, I did that spiritual gift thing. Nothing really came of it. I think that's what Paul might be saying to Timothy. Don't neglect your spiritual gift. Don't neglect your spiritual gift. Fan it into flame for the purposes that God gave it to you. All right, so we have the first couple, ministry experience and then a discovery of a spiritual gift. And then third comes increased use of that spiritual gift. So that makes sense. If you've done some experiences and then you see some confirmation that maybe these are the spiritual gifts God's given me, then you use those more. And following using the more comes an increased effectiveness of the spiritual gift. That you start to see this grow out of your use of the gifts. And I just don't want you to miss the order here. I want you to notice that it's all the way down to the fourth step before we start seeing ministry effectiveness through the use of spiritual gifts. Um, in another of Bobby Clinton's books called The Making of a Leader, which I love and I've learned so much from, he has a quote on this topic of the order in which God develops spiritual gifts in us. Let me just read it to you here. He says, ministry activity or fruitfulness is not the focus, is not God's focus of the early phases. God is working primarily in the leader, not through him. Many emerging leaders don't recognize this and become frustrated. They're constantly evaluating productivity and activities while God is quietly evaluating their leadership potential. He wants to teach us that we minister out of what we are. God is working in the leader, in the person with spiritual gifts, more than through them in those early phases. Um, last night, this was a topic of dinner conversation, and um, one of the people at dinner said, you know, I'm serving in this area, but I don't really see a lot of fruit. And it was really tempting to just go ahead and preach the whole service sermon to the group of friends who had gathered for dinner. I didn't do that because I want to be invited back to future dinners. But it resonated with me. 
Because I'll tell you, as a 14, 15, 16-year-old trying to be a camp counselor, um, God was doing more work in me than through me. So you have growing effectiveness in using the gift. And then Bobby Clinton's sixth step is the discovery of other spiritual gifts. And he says it's normal as you develop and use spiritual gifts for God to to expose or illuminate other gifts that he's giving you for the purpose of ministry. It brings to mind that passage, when you're faithful in small things, you'll be entrusted with bigger things. It's not until step eight, by the way, which we're not going to talk about this morning, that Clinton gets to maturity in use of spiritual gifts. And he makes, a pro- pro- he makes it clear here and in the making of a leader that God's developing you and me for ministry is a lifelong process. Um, We see that in the next verse. So let's keep moving with 1 Timothy. Now verse 15, which says, Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Now, Timothy is at this point the the head of the whole church at Ephesus. It's a very important role. Um, If you were here last week, you saw Adam preach about that the verses just before this where it says don't let people look down on you because of your youth and I thought he treated that very well Um, it leaves you thinking as I did growing up that Timothy must be a teenager at this point or maybe early 20s Um, the best that I could tell and dates are a little bit difficult and so um, there are different opinions about how old Timothy was here Um, a number of sources say that he was born in the year 17 there's math coming up you ready Timothy was born in the year 17 and Paul wrote 1st Timothy in the year 64 now 64 minus 17 would put Timothy at 46 or 47 years old depending on when his birthday was Now, other scholars say, well, yeah, but he was probably born later than that. What we do know is that 14 years earlier, 13 to 14 years before 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Thessalonians was written. And that's significant because the first verse in 1 Thessalonians says, from Paul and Timothy. So at least 13 years before this letter where Paul says, don't neglect your spiritual gift, Timothy is working together with Paul to send letters to the churches. I think it's pretty cool. In fact, I went back and looked, and Timothy is listed as a a co-sender of six of Paul's letters. First and second Thessalonians, Colossians, second Corinthians. He didn't get in on the first Corinthians. Philippians and Philemon from Paul and Timothy. And so, it's easy in reading just 1 Timothy with the comments about don't neglect your spiritual gift and the comments about don't let people look down on you because you're young, to think that here's a young man who's new in his faith and he's being encouraged by a senior disciple, an apostle. But the fact is, Timothy's been walking with God and following Christ 
for at least a dozen years. And, and Timothy is now in a very important position, and he's not just a kid, he's a mature, grown man. And Paul says, throw yourself into the task so that everyone will see your progress. There's an expectation that at every stage of life, we continue to grow and progress in the use of our spiritual gifts. Which brought to mind a guy named Elliot Jacks. Now, Elliot Jacks is a, was a um, industrial psychologist from Canada. And his whole body of research had to do with following the career paths of people in the corporate arena. And here's what he observed, and it's good news for you, and it's really good news for me. That at every age, we continue to get better. We continue to grow in our capability to deal with difficult or challenging or complex issues. So if you can't handle it now, just wait, because maybe you'll be able to handle it in a year or two. We continue to get better. And he saw this from hundreds of different careers that he tracked. Um, you don't know Elliot Jack's work. Does it, yeah, I won't ask. If you know Elliot Jack's work, come up and talk to me because I haven't found anybody yet. But it's just been fascinating for me. But you do know something that he contributed. Because Elliot Jack's coined the term midlife crisis. And you've heard of that, right? And here's where it came from. He said, you know what? If, if you start down here as a young person and you continue to get better and better and better and more capable as you grow older, and you have a job here that's this hard, this complex, this difficult, and when you start, your capabilities are a little bit below that job, and so it's a challenge, and you work at it, and it's, it's different, but you're growing, and you're getting more capable, more confident, and that's really fulfilling. That's the perfect situation. But then after a few years, you kind of fit exactly where that complex is. You continue to grow, and all of a sudden, you find yourself not challenged, not doing things that are really using all of your capabilities. Now, it's interesting to me that God has created us to continue to improve through the years. And, and that you can get to a point, according to Jacks, where you're living above what you're actually doing. You have the capacity and the capability to do more than you're doing. And he said this creates a tension, which he dubbed the midlife crisis. I think that there's a parallel midlife crisis in the use of our spiritual gifts. I think that we can have early ministry experiences, we can discover some gifts, we can use them more and more. I think that we can start to see effectiveness, but if we're not continuing to throw ourselves into these tasks and making progress, we can get to a point where it starts to feel kind of eh. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about for Timothy. I think Timothy is being challenged continue to continue to grow. And the stakes are high. Let's take a look at the final verse that we're going to see this morning. In 1 Timothy, verse 16 says, Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Paul says, stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. It's 
it's the way God works to, through the Holy Spirit, give us spiritual gifts and give us assignments. And in some way, this is all part of the plan of salvation that began and was accomplished fully in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul says, the stakes are high. Don't neglect your spiritual gift. Fan it into flame. Use it to serve each other, to glorify God, and to help each other. Now, I mentioned that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is kind of Paul's big sermon on spiritual gifts. And I encourage you to go home and read it. It goes through a number of spiritual gifts. It talks about how they should be applied. But Paul moves that letter to focus on love. And and I just want you to see the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13 in light of us teaching and studying today on spiritual gifts. Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, that would be some great gifts. But didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul says, the spiritual gifts are great. And they're used, they're given, and they're intended to be used for a purpose. That purpose has to be motivated and infused with love. Or it's worthless. This brought to mind uh, a song that my son Rob wrote when he was 17. So not too far off the age where I was wandering the woods without underwear. He was writing a lament to a loveless church. And I just want to share the lyrics of that song with you as we close our message this morning. The song is called Act On It, and the lyric is, what's all this talk of love? It's not consistent. It's never enough, but I don't think that you think that it is. But you're not making it up. So if it's truth, then act on it. From here on out, stop making points and start making a difference. If your love is loud, you don't have to shout for somebody to listen. What gave me away? Where's my faith if I'm doing nothing? Love isn't always what you planned, but if it's truth, then act on it. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for... The amazing way that you've set this up through your Holy Spirit to give us gifts and entrust us to develop them and to use them to bring you glory and to serve those around us. 
God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and let us see how it is that you want to use us. I pray that you would continue to develop us so that those around us can see our progress. And I pray that through it all, you would continue to accomplish saving us and those around us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.